0: hello 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 welcome to another production of the hit podcast series the garage how do i know it's a hit well my mom told me it's a hit if my mom says (laughs) it's a hit then it's going to be a hit so it's a hit hey thank you so much to all our listeners out there we know you guys have busy lives and taking the time out of your day to spend it with us is so humbling and appreciated Uh, we thank you more than you could ever ever know so thank you to all our listeners out there if you're just joining us for the first time in the garage welcome pull up a stool grab your grease rag to wipe your hands off when you're done but hope you don't mind we started without you this is our third episode but you can always go back and grab the first two episodes to catch up the garage is a place where we get together and talk about retail media all things retail media and there's no one who talks retail media better than my co-host and king of the north evan havorka how's the snow
1: situation in minnesota today evan yeah, good afternoon, Dan. Thanks for that wonderful intro. We've got a little bit of snow here in Minneapolis. You know, we've uh, Minneapolis has become kind of a retail media hotbed. Uh, we're cooling off for the winter, but we're not cooling off on retail media topics. Excited for today's uh, guests. Today's guests are some of the best and brightest the industry has to offer, and
0: we're excited to have them in the studio uh, and in their homes, which is really kind of fun to be able to do this show from four different locations. So I'm in Boise, Idaho, Evans in Minneapolis, Courtney, I hear, is in Cincinnati, and Andy is hanging out in front of Disneyland in Anaheim, California, which is super cool. <laughs> it's the 21st century, and we might as well leverage all the tools that we have. So, our friends, as you know, over the n- next episodes, we're building our path towards RMN Nirvana. So, here in the garage, we're bringing in serious craftspeople and their toolkits to help us construct the pillars needed for RMN innovation. In the first couple episodes, we started talking about creating the space needed for advancement. Last episode, we discussed why taking an inventory of your current assets is necessary. But today, today we're going to take a little field trip. We're going to Mars. Our topic today is how, a reta- as a retailer, you need to know your role and know your strength. And who better to help have that critical discussion than our friends from the Mars Agency. The first Martian I want to welcome is the Vice President of Commerce Media from the Mars Agency, Courtney Crossley. How are you?
2: I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here.
0: Thank you so much for being here. And second, I want to bring in an old friend of mine from back when I was a little shopper marketling. I don't know if you want to call it a a little egg, right, down there. The Commerce Media Director from the Mars Agency, Andy Howard. What's up, Andy? Hey, Dan. How's it going? I'm so excited to be in the garage with you guys. We're so glad you're here. It's good to see you again. Courtney, I want to just start off. A lot of our listeners may not know about the Mars Agency and and what the Mars Agency does, why we have you in here. Would you mind giving us a little bit of background on the Mars Agency and what you guys do?
2: Yeah. So those of you that are new to Mars, welcome. We're glad to get to meet you. The Mars Agency is a global leader in connected commerce. We have over 20 plus years in specializing in retail media and thought leadership, working with over 35 of the world's most respected brands, connecting them to the marketplace across retailers globally. We offer world-class end-to-end services from strategy and planning, media buying, hands-to-keys activation, and the newest technology with reporting and analytics through our exclusive Maryland platform. We also have a unique arm of our business that actually works directly with retailers to help partner and Media network creation and delivery.
0: Did you read that?
2: Potentially, okay. potentially. Did it feel a little scripted. It, it, did it, good. it was, you know, it did good. Marketing made sure I showed up. We well. all
0: <laughs> have PR departments. I get it. Mine's listening in on the ghost channel right now, and they but they can't get a hold of me. So we're going to go off the rails real quick, which is kind of fun. Evan, talk a little bit about our relationship with the Mars Agency, if you would.
1: Yeah, I'm really happy to have you and Courtney join us today because they really provide such a, a unique value proposition for what we do. And selfishly, you know, we, they really connect the dots between some of our products, which uh, you know retailers are not, as we've talked about in previous episodes. We are very good at, at leveraging assets, but we're not necessarily ad tech wizards, especially when you consider the wide spectrum of clients out there from large CPGs who want their own hands on keyboard to massive agencies that have all kinds of tools and technologies and ideas and, and don't necessarily need everything we bring to market to lots of mid and long tail CPGs who need help and uh, love and care and attention to tap into these retail media platforms, which are all very much a a unicorn today as we still struggle with standardization. The Mars Agency comes in over the top of all that and says, hey, we'll provide some of that standardization. We'll help CPGs understand item feeds and spa integrations, sorry, search product ads, and, and all the other 15 channels and oddities that RMNs bring to market. You know, the more companies like Mars Agency um, help cpgs the better our products become understandable and digestible so i think of them as an extension of our product team really we can we can plug in they fill in gaps that maybe we're not prioritizing or don't need to prioritize because they can standardize and bring our products into a much more understandable model for their clients so super excited they also have a couple other tricks up their sleeve like the ro- report card on which they'll get into and then they're just good thought leaders you know we, we run a lot of our product roadmap and ideas through some of our stronger partnerships, Mars is at the top of that list and we get feedback, right? What a great way to get feedback from a group of experts that can represent dozens of clients versus going to each client and trying to, trying to connect all those dots. So probably more than past episodes, I'm just super excited to get into the weeds here. They also happen to be very vocal and articulate thought leaders. So I'm going to shut up and uh, we'll get, the, get to the education part of this series.
0: They're also dog people, which is, you know, if you can trust anybody, you can trust a dog person, which is great. Courtney, what kind of dog do you have?
2: I have a very large Old English sheep dog poodle mix. His name is Samson. If he makes a cameo, I apologize, but say hey to Samson from Cincinnati.
0: Samson's always welcome (laughs) in the garage, which is is a, a fun place for doggos. Andy, what about you? What kind of dog do you have?
3: I have a German Shepherd Lab rescue, which we picked up during COVID and uh, yeah, the perfect COVID dog likes to bark when you when unexpectedly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we love surprises. That's good. Courtney, uh, we're trying to figure out how to know our role and know our strengths. Evan spoke about you guys being vocal and helping out in that regard. Can you tell us how retailers can find their top three capabilities? We've done an inventory. Great. This is what we have, right? Well, how do we find our top three? How do we know? What sets of, How do we find our differentiators?
2: Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to hit a little high here. And then, Andy, keep me honest, as it pertains strictly to uh, Albertsons and kind of your experience, and maybe use them as a little bit of example. But I think to start to think about, you know, what you as a retailer bring to the market that's unique and what a differentiator may be for you. You really need to lean in to, you know, what is your unique foothold? What are you bringing to the industry that has suppliers wanting to come and work with you and shoppers seeking out your stores? That I think if you take the retail media network out of it all for a second, like what is that unique value that you bring to the space that has, you know, business coming to your doorstep from both sides of the equation and making sure that you're able to actually kind of deliver upon that or emphasize that with your retail media is important. So, you know, I think three things that come top of mind to me that we always talk through, which is at the foundation of it all you know audience you know the one thing you know that you can bring into this conversation is your unique shoppership and the audiences that you can provide to the suppliers as they're looking to invest with your retail media network you know your unique shoppers that are working within your stores coming to find this, the brands that they love there versus maybe a, a another another competitor and making sure that you have the right level of granularity and the ability to actually target them across your catalog of media offerings if you offer 30 different kinds of media but you can only target to the top line, you know, brand buyers, maybe switchers. That's that's really not going to help deliver against some of the custom goals that suppliers bring to the retail media space. Secondarily, we look at reporting. So, now that we have this great granular audience capability, I think the big thing is thinking about how does this media that you're maybe considering as a strength? Can you report to the right level of detail to help address or, you know, work in work these this data point into a conversation with your suppliers to help answer questions that they're they're wanting to have within a learning agenda or why they're investing in this media. And then lastly, the quality of experience for your shoppers themselves. So obviously you have this unique baseline shopper that's coming to your store for a reason. Do they feel like the digital experience is familiar and supportive of what they're expecting in store? This could be anything from how your display ads show up on your retail.com experience or how the PDP content comes across. And does it look and feel how those brands are positioned in your stores? Um, So I think that's kind of the foundation we like to look at is how can you continue to support and deliver on that unique foothold that you have in the industry as a retailer?
1: Oh my goodness so you can yeah so you really like- you, you can tell already guys like the the thought leadership there I don't know that we've had much much of our topics focused on the shopper experience within our stores, but that's really what we're here to do right We need to keep that shopper engaged with offers, coupons, ads, access to products that they like and enjoy and it really hits on that win-win-win model where the, the CPG wins when they get shoppers that are new to market or expanding their loyalty getting to test the new products and flavors that they're bringing in. Um, and that only happens when you consider all those things Courtney hit on. like the, Our experience on our site and app is paramount to our success. And that means we can't saturate ad load. We can't be disruptive in putting product ads in front of people who have no intent to buy that. And that really requires that mm-hmm. strategy to connect all the channels. It's easy for our men's, especially in this gen one, gen two phase to really maximize a single channel, but to tie all that together and line it up to a CPG strategy Sometimes we can do that with deep investment, but sometimes we lean on agencies like the Mars Agency to to help represent that strategy and execute it on behalf of the CPG. So that was a wonderful recap. Sorry, Andy, I'll throw it over to you. Great.
3: No, great. I mean, you also, to add to that, you know, you also have to look at, you know, what do, what do your suppliers need? And, and you know, as a retail media network, also looking at what technology or, or partnerships that you have that's unique and exclusive to you as a retail media network. I always look back at, you know, some of the things that we did in the past, Dan, where, where we took the, uh, you know, the exclusivity of the Just For You, you know, platform at the time and use that as an activation tool, but top that then with you know, the, the strong partnerships uh, that we brought together between the manufacturer and, and you know, the retailer and, and created that exclusive first-to-market experience for the shopper. And so you really just to hone in on, on what, what do you have that's unique to the, to the rest of the industry as well.
2: And um, once you're grounded in, you know, what your foothold is and how your media catalog maybe supports, complements, or drives that point home in the delivery to the shopper and, you know, boosts the supplier's business for the same reason they're coming to the retail, retailer store in the first place, thinking about the performance of it all. I mean, look, we're, nobody, nobody can say, we can't sit here and say honestly that, you know, Brands don't look and compare performance across retailers. So you do need to be aware of, you know, what is your performance? How is it benchmarking against the industry? You know, I'd even say, you know, retailers being cognizant of how the category shows up in their store. If they're a pure grocer versus maybe a hybrid store that, that has broader categories within the store, you know, how does that show up within your shoppership? How do, how do suppliers get to engage with your store within their brand portfolio? And then making sure that, you know, you're aware of how this brand may feel in your stores versus competitors. And thinking about that as you're benchmarking your performance because shoppers see that too. So I think that's the one thing as you start to think about performance is again, that unique foothold you have also shows up in how brands invest in you and how shoppers come to shop.
0: I love that thinking about it from both the brand side and the shopper side that gets lost sometimes. We focus really heavily on how are we showing up with our CPG partners? How are we going out and bringing them into our ecosystem? But remember, this all has an end point here, and that's the shopper coming into the store or online to purchase a product.
2: Yeah, I think in retail media, it's it's far too easy to focus on the media conversation. And I think we need to take a step back and realize that retail media is more than just media. It's not just media KPIs. we got to bring the retail back in the conversation, right? Like shoppers are coming for a retail experience, whether they're digitally engaging or they're going in store or they're a hybrid engager. And we need to make sure that we're complementing that across the
0: board. Oh, I love that. So when we do the due diligence here, And we find we've got an outage uh, in that path to purchase. (laughs) How do we decide when to build and when to outsource?
2: Yeah, I think it's unique, right? This conversation comes up and I kind of think two different points of maturity, as Evan was talking about retail media network maturity, um, as they enter the space and kind of build their capabilities. I think there's, there's people that are newly starting out from scratch, or maybe they're six months in and they're wanting to build some capabilities and they're thinking about, do I partner or do I invest? And then you have retailers that have been around, I mean... Some of these came on before the dawn of COVID and they were creating this um, and they start to have radical success in some of the placements. They have some partners that are helping delivering that experience. And they're wondering, is it worth in-housing this? Do we really need this partner that maybe takes a little bit of the margin, right? Or limits the experience. We want to drive it home a little bit further to our shopper, really reflect that unique experience the shopper expects or our brands want to have. And I think there's there's kind of two, there's one thing, one big thing that both sides of this conversation need to, need to think about. And that's the Stability of the business, and when are you going to actually get that return on investment? So I think retail, we can all agree, we're all tied to retailers one way or another. It's a bit volatile. Margins are thin. It's a thin margin business, and there's hiring freezes that happen. And at the end of the day, the retailer most often holds the purse strings on investing in these capability creations. So knowing, you know, soundness of your business, having the plan, having the executive investment um, as you're beginning the conversation with you in-house, like what is the appetite at a ex- enterprise level is, I think, very important before you start looking at individual capabilities that you want to start to create. You don't want to get eight months into an 18-month plan and have a hiring freeze and then your entire product is delayed. That's that's not a good experience for anybody, right? You might have started teasing it, maybe have some beta partners picked out and, and all of a sudden the whole thing's, you know, puts for a couple of months. So we want to make sure that we're really cognizant of the health of the business and the appetite at an enterprise level first. And then I think secondarily, if you're, if you consider, you know, okay, we're in the right mindset. We have the right, right business to go forward with this right now. Think about what are some of the things that you need to be in housing. So is there a unique capability that your shoppers expect at your stores or with your brand that your media partners, your third-party partners, or anybody in the space that maybe you're not engaging with can't deliver upon. A lot of times this is an on-site type of delivery. You know, you have a look and feel and a, in a, in a I would say a culture of how people feel when they're going through your dot-com your experience. And sometimes bringing a third-party platform on-site disrupts that. Um, they have limitations to creativity. They they have limitations to maybe the engagement or the rich media that you can be providing. So I think being cognizant of that and thinking about is it an experiential prohibitor to have it outsourced? Maybe then we need to insource. I think, you know, second second thing I'd be kind of thinking about is, um, you know, is there a lack of delivery in that shopper experience? So do we feel like, you know, across the board, everything's really rich and then maybe our search capability with the partner we have is just not quite there for the level of granularity that somebody might be searching like a, you know, OTC or NGO category where they really get detailed on what they're looking for. And you feel like there's a gap in how you're able to deliver that for your client or your shopper. I'd say then you might need to think about creating your own search platform or I think Too often we look at our current partner and it's all or nothing, right? We're either in a partnership or we're going to in house it. I think taking a step back and looking at the options in the industry, new players are popping up all the time. So being really aware of what's out there in the industry, you may not have to in house right away. You might be able to swap partners and gain some of the capabilities you feel like you're lacking. So I think, you know, all too often we get really excited about in housing and we jump in that bucket and I am all for it. But I think that knowing who's in the space, what the emerging capabilities are, where might you want to test some of these capabilities through third party before you think about in-housing, and then where do you actually need to close that gap and really in-house to get that kind of signature on the media capability that you're looking at? So I think that's kind of what should drive those conversations, but I think the foundation of all of it is, are you even in a position to be investing in an an in-house capability? Is is your enterprise leadership really going to be behind it? And is it going to be a sound delivery? And then do you have a plan to get the return on the investment in the first 18 months as it launches?
0: Wow, that's a lot to consider, guys. Anybody think anybody want to question Courtney's capabilities here? Because <laughs> I don't. That
1: was as expert level as you get. Uh, yeah, I, 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 we went through that journey at Albertsons, right? It was an outsourced uh, retail media experience through a third mm-hmm. party. I think that model makes sense for for uh, retailers of a certain size. What is that size? And yeah. what is the level of commitment to making the, the model work? Those are really tough questions. But once the decision's been made, it does need to reflect the unique proposition that the retailer brings to their shopper, because that should show up in the in the retail media products they bring to the CPGs and agencies. And and really, that's how we differentiate. There is some reason for unicorn uh, looking products within retail, but it shouldn't be based on just technical limitations. It should be based on what is so special about that retailer. They have a unique audience. They've got a unique shopping experience. Right. It should really make those marketing campaigns shine. Mm-hmm. Um, not friction for friction's sake. So that's a big commitment, though, because you're right. Payroll can be tough. Ad tech partnerships and just understanding end-to-end flow is not always knowledge that lives inside a retailer. Sometimes that's been outsourced to an agency at the enterprise level. And so there may not be a, a group of folks within the retailer that understands how end-to-end off-platform media works. Yeah. And so it's, a whole, it's not just a tech investment. It's It's a whole new lifestyle and resource plan. Even changing HR roles and titles was was part of our journey as we brought that in-house two years ago. I mean, it's tough, right? It's a lot of work, a lot of heavy commitment that needs to be invested in over time to let the, the unique assets shine.
2: So to pick on Albertsons for a second, because I think you guys did this so well, while you were leveraging third-party partners to kind of deliver the first instance of your retail media network, you guys internally got really, really sharp, both on the retail media network side, but also from my understanding, talking to you all, the retail leadership on, you know, what is your unique audience capability? How are you providing this to suppliers? You started to really kind of preview this with suppliers, get them excited about the capability, and you started testing and kind of developing this while you were leveraging third-party partners to actually deliver the media. I also think the other thing you did really, really well was your reporting. You got really clear and very tight on what your POV was going to be on data cleanliness and how you were going to report and what your standard of delivery was going to be in your reporting metrics on your, on your media. Um, and I think those two things really unlock people getting excited about the capabilities you have, but also make it easier. As you think to in-house, you now know kind of the levers you want to be able to pull and how you're going to report against it. And it's it's just the design of the actual product that you want to be offering to help, you know, kind of put that put that skill set on your site or actually deliver the, the media placement. I and mean, I think you guys did a great job of that. And one of the things Andy and I talk about all the time is just, how true you are to yourselves and I, I know we're talking about shoppers i want to focus on suppliers but why shop right why suppliers are coming to albertson's you guys are kind of continuing to keep that in the forefront of the conversation so not only is your quality of shopper experience on site very strong but i think that you guys are great at keeping your retailer brand in the forefront of your retail media network relationships and i think that goes very far and then you guys at that point of maturity then in-house some things and i think that was a great way to do it
1: well thank you for those kind words yeah I- that is a reflection of our, of our leadership. And we do stand behind some pretty strong mantras, which are not performance KPIs, right? We talk a lot about co-op garden measurement transparency. Definitely. We leaned into standardization this year in a big way because those are all things that help the overall industry grow. And when that, when that happens, we all benefit, right? We don't want to be thought of as a, an additional friction point for CPGs. Or even as we move into the, the bigger agency relationships, the smoother we are, the easier we are to work with the funner we are to work with, we just think it makes the, the investment opportunity so much easier. And then it makes day-to-day work so much easier. But speaking about retail media networks as a whole, I, I would love to hear a little bit more about the report card, the, the scorecard rather, and just hear about why you thought that was necessary. And why do we think the, the Mars Agency scorecard got such traction? It, it's kind of, we use it as our, um, our our Bible internally to see where we're pacing ahead, pacing behind where we might need to invest. Love to hear how you've received feedback from other clients, other RMNs, and then even the industry as a whole, because it seems to be picking up a
3: lot of traction. Sure, you know, absolutely. The, the, we rolled out the Retail Media Report card during the middle part of 2022, and it's revolved in, evolved into like a, a quarterly publication of results. And what we do, just to give everyone some background, we evaluate 65 different criteria, and we group those into five performance areas. So you got targeting, measurement, reporting, media opportunities. And then innovation, such as like next level media tech, and, and and partnerships, like you know how you would work within the JVP process. And so, as part of our process, each retail media network is evaluated on like a three point scale based on how how well they meet their the criteria for each performance area. And then we, we've done is we've identified a table stakes that we, we really feel that each network should offer uh, and we incorporate that into the measurements. So then that way, when we look at those results as an agency, we consider good as those that meet the table stakes across all those performance areas, and then they continue to improve with each quarter um, to demonstrate that growth and so forth. So what we do is we share the retail media report cards every quarter in a line with, with yourselves and, and our internal retail media council, if you will. And, and it really is a, a black and white way of looking at capabilities versus you know, making any assumptions and so forth.
1: No, that's fantastic.
0: I think what's great about that is is one of my follow-up questions to you on the report card was about how you keep impartiality out of the rankings. But it sounds like the way you've developed that criteria, you've got to a check step with a council if you will really helps to to make sure that from an honesty perspective this is what we're seeing the numbers don't lie let the data do the talking
3: Right, right. The big difference is, is it's not a survey. It's not sent out to media buyers that may or may not know the ins and outs of every retail media network, and, and which you know just leads to making assumptions in some cases. Our report card is really led by the commerce media directors, including myself, and, and we evaluate and measure each uh, retail media network. So it's it's mm-hmm. really a you know black and white evaluation where we take that impartiality out and take out those assumptions and and kind of build that scale of data points to measure against. Nice.
2: I think a big driver of the clarity on our scorecard is that we, you know, when we started this, it was actually driven by a conversation with a retailer. We had a top-to-top executive conversation where they challenged us, well, what does good look like? How do we know how we stack up? What's what's good in the industry? What do we need to be prioritizing creating? Um, and that kind of challenged us to come back internally and say, what does good look like? So we, we actually all agreed upon definitions of what qualifies an actual capability or a, a check of the box. So we have definitions in the archive in the back end of this report card that everyone can see. You know, we go through and we say yes, no, they do or don't have it. We, as Andy said, we check with the retailers, but it is, it's, it's very black and white. We want to make sure that it's a very fair. Nothing's easily apples to apples in this industry, but we want to make it as digestible and as comparable as possible across the board. So that was, that was the big thing is it actually was prompted by a retailer wanting to understand. And now I think a lot of brands use it to understand, you know, where, where can they move the needle in certain areas with certain retail partners? So it's been a really great tool for the full industry, I think.
0: Well, we agree because we use it. I mean, we look at it. That's for darn sure. And we want to know that we're showing up the right way and where there are deficiencies. Uh, then we all yell at Evan and try to figure out how we can make it go faster to get us better, right?
1: No, I mean, it, it's a function of any healthy product team to go do that. So the fact that we get it handed to my team every quarter and the leadership team every quarter, it saves, I mean, not that that's our only piece of feedback. We also talk to clients via our counsel. But man, it's a nice packaged gift every quarter to say good, bad, ugly. And not every retailer needs to follow it to, a, to the T, but... If there's big gaps or we see that seven out of the eight retail media networks are doing something and we're not, that should be a red flag. And we should ask why or why not, that that should be added to our product backlog. So yes, it has influenced our backlog in big ways. And it's just a nice sounding board too, when we review it with you directly, get a little more context and a little more direction on on the level of importance for our CPGs because their businesses are evolving too, right? The, it's We're all shooting at a target that's a little bit opaque and moving. CPGs are changing the way they, they bring dollars to retail media. Agencies are, are evolving the way they invest and plug into retail media networks. Some are even buying ad tech, right? Publicis, and now I think Omnicom just announced they're they're buying a Freewheel. I mean, those are big changes that happen weekly, monthly in the ad tech space, which has a major impact on how product teams like mine bring our, our products to market. So without some sort of universal standard on measurement, it's tough to know if we're doing good, bad, or ugly. Or you're forced to just use revenue KPIs, which, I mean, is is a great KPI, but it doesn't speak to the customer happiness, our CPG happiness, which is ultimately how we grow. I was going to lean back on something you brought up earlier in the conversation, though, Courtney, and uh, throw this maybe to Andy or or you. That merchant integration piece, you know, we think about retail media moving into its third wave to take from, uh, I think, Andrew Lipsman has, has referred, to, referred to it as that. I refer to it as the third chapter. It really is moving beyond retail media. Some folks have said it's moving into just media. Some folks have put public statements out there that retail media needs to just look like media. Um, that, I believe, is a little short-sighted, right? We need to go beyond just media. Media is not great either. I mean, media exists to move units and sell and build brand and build loyalty, and that requires merchant integration without in-stocks and uh, price and promo and coupons knowing what's going to be on end cap or if that shelf placement or sore penetration metric is going up or down for a particular CPG. That data has such a huge impact on campaign performance that we can't stop at media and we're going to push into something a little bigger, which includes the merchants. You see it show up with JVPs, these annual commitments, but it can show up more in a direct integration through technology where the media campaign is tied directly to a lot of our merchant data sets and merchant visions. The good news is those things are planned out years in advance minimum 12 months sometimes three years with our with our good cpg partnerships so we know well in advance the new product launches end cap weekly circular um, coupons price promo all that stuff should just be integrated directly into the media campaign to really reflect the full value of what that retailer can bring in service of the cpg and and i know you guys are big thought leaders in that space too but i'd love to hear how you think of if my statement's true, do we feel like retail media needs to move into something like merch media Nirvana for a CPG, or are we um, as far as we can go? I'll throw that to Andy first, and then Courtney. Love to hear your thoughts.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I, I think that is going to one of the challenges that you know we have in our, our space, and, and we we look at it as a, kind of that connected commerce and look at that total picture of. of of not just retail media, not just brand media, but how, you know how how everything you know together kind of kind of creates that package, and, and bringing in merchandising is is really important. I think that's that's kind of that missing catalyst to, to most uh, retail media networks is just having that disconnect with with merchandising. So I think you're spot on with that.
0: Hey.
2: If I can take please it yeah. Out. Maybe a step further. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, Evan, I think you're spot on. I, My background, I I'm I come from a performance media background, so I definitely understand the easy line that you can kind of connect with retail media feeling like performance media. You know, there's media metrics, there's media conversations happening around the KPIs, However, like you said, that retail merchant, you know, the, the merchant media nirvana, as you said it. I think I'm going to probably put that on a T-shirt to be honest, and wear it to the next conference. Um, we got to get trademark, some merch for sorry, you. The but, yeah, sorry, trademark. garage. Yeah, we got to get we got to get some garage merch. I'll, I'll rep it. That was awesome. But I think you know, to nod to Andy talking about the connected commerce, you know, merchant is a big part of it. But at Mars, we actually even take a step back just to think about, you know. What does the connected commerce experience look like? What are you doing with Digital Shelf as a supplier? You know, what does your trade experience look like? What's your in-store display look, feel, look like for the hybrid shopper? You know, what are you doing at a brand level? And I think this is really actually driving some of the need for agencies and retail media networks to connect a little bit differently, to better address the industry. I think gone are the days where the industry is... You know, a little bit early days and everyone is pivoting in a, in a pandemic panic to digital media with their trade dollars. And they really appreciated, I think, the retail media networks coming with a bit of a, a menu or a, a pre-planned menu for what they could do to invest and support the business during kind of this global shift in how we address retail. Um, I think nowadays, you have a lot more custom work being done in how IATs and agencies, agency teams across the board work together to service a supplier and a client. And retailers coming with a little bit of a different lens to work with us will only help bring you guys along. I think at the beginning of the episode, you said, you know, we only have such a big team. We can only do so much training. We really need to work with our agency partners to better show up. And I think a lot of that's being driven by the industry's growth into the connected commerce conversation. I know for us early days, we're doing a lot of introductions for our our clients where we were saying, here is your brand team, your your international team, your shopper team, and your trade team. And let's all get together and talk about all of your KPIs and let's plan this holistically. And we would love to meet your other agencies. And, you know, we, being an indie agency, we kind of play this unique swing role. We're able to kind of connect across the board, pretty, pretty custom to what the client needs. And what we've really moved to recently is bringing our retail partners along for the ride. So, and moving away from, you know, a propos- an annual proposal by client and having the retail media networks come and talk through their goal for investment and here's the media that's going to get you there. We actually work with them a little bit more closely on, hey, guys, here's what we're talking about with our clients, whether it's an IAT learning agenda or it's just a shopper driven agenda on, you know, we're working at share of example, share of shelf. And it's not just a share of voice conversation, they're looking at it a little bit deeper on, you know, not all share of shelf is created equal, it gets a little bit more complicated than that above the fold, below the fold, branded or non branded organic, you know, it's it's a bigger conversation. So we usually will sit the retailers down and talk through how our client is viewing it. And we'll actually even share, you know, here's what we are looking at for data sets retailer, third party, you know, maybe a platform that looks specifically at site traffic, you know, what we're looking at and how we're educating that conversation. And then we work work with the retailer on truly a planning session to kick off the year. Bring, you know, we love our retail partners to bring in um, from the network's data set, you know, how is the business showing up at, you know, within within the digital media? And what can you guys bring? There's some insights that we can use to help further maybe the audience selection or some of the retargeting goals or, you know, how different media is interacting with this brand's buyership. We want we want to know that. And that's really where we can work with you guys again, going back to the beginning of the call sound a little bit like a broken record, but that unique foothold you have and how you're delivering against it with those three pillars of experience, reporting and audience capabilities, bring that with to us and help us work together to come up with the best media plan for your retail media network to help drive the retail business for the supplier and the retailer. Um, you know, shoppers are only going to benefit when it's a strong plan. So I think for us, it's moving away from proposals and into planning workshops or sessions where we all come with insights on both sides of the fence and kind of sit down at the table and talk about it. And I think that's really furthering some of our more advanced retail media network relationships and helping keeping us at the forefront of the industry.
0: I think there's a big big theme that keeps getting teased out from the dumb guy on the other side of the mic uh, here that with retailers, and we're thinking about how we're bringing these steps and these pillars to RMN Nirvana and focusing on this outsource piece and, and knowing our strengths and weaknesses and, and when we need to, to to work with partners here, there's a big theme around being honest with yourself and having the courage uh, as a leader to say, hey, we need to go get some help here. And so I'm you know, kind of off script asking the question then Courtney and Andy, how is it received or are you seeing retailers able to be honest with themselves? Is it happening? Either one of you, Andy, you go um, first.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think you know it, it, it's limited, right? You know, there there's are some areas that you know, when when you're feeling confident with with what you're you're delivering, you know, you you got it out there. But I think there's a you know there there is a period that, that you need to take a step back and and look and see what are the results we're, we're delivering. And you know, sometimes we just need to face the fact that it's not going to always work, and and uh, you know we need to we need to pivot direction or, or make some adjustments. We can't be afraid to to see see bad results or or, or things that don't work Mm. and be be, not be afraid to test and learn and try new things. Um, I think there's definitely an opportunity there.
2: Yeah. And, I think when you have that connected commerce approach and you're looking at, you know, the retail across all of the touch points and the media of it, I think you can have a more direct conversation on what the KPIs are and what the purpose of a specific media placement you're investing in is for the year, right? Not not every media placement needs to be a cash cow ROAS driver. It's there maybe to drive awareness for a tent pole six months away, right? And how you actually leverage that retailer's unique, that retail media network's unique audience capability goes really far and how you're actually able to deliver against that annual goal and I think that's what gets missed when you focus on strictly media um, you lose some of that you're, you're talking to a shopper um, and you need to kind of think about how you engage with them across the year and really really continue the relationship with that shopper
0: I mean, those are really powerful answers and, and I think that being honest as a retailer and then having the courage and leadership to move forward is is tough uh, it's the the that's not how we've always done it mentality that we're trying to overcome a bit but that's me saying that. So I I pose the question to you two and we ask all of our guests towards the end here, if you could change one thing about the industry, wave a magic wand, what would it be? Courtney, I'll start with you.
2: Yeah, I think I've I've got a pretty strong opinion on this. I think this standardization of it all, and I know that Albertson's is doing some great work, especially with the IAB, on really driving this conversation forward, but I think, you know, as we continue to look to standardize the industry, the biggest piece to me is the data. I spoke to data cleanliness before, and I think the big thing that I'd love to change overnight is the delivery of of a of immediate data report. I think right now we have wrap reports where things are augmented, projected, algorithmic, algorithmified. I don't even know if that's a word, but I feel like people come up with these projections to talk about whether it's incrementality or maybe new audience engagement. And I really just think keeping the data as close to clean as possible for now, until we have these stronger standards in place and then delivering against the standards. I think that's what I'd like to change. I don't want a wrap report. I think I really want like a dashboard of real-time media, real-time media right. performance. That way I can make my own, my own assumptions and i think that's kind of driven by this shift to self-serve we're seeing across the industry that'll be the new norm as more and more people are engaging with the self-serve media versus managed service i think it's kind of on the horizon anyways but i think overnight i would love to just have more of that data in my in my hands and at my fingertips to help educate what we're doing with our clients at these retail partners versus rap reports that have some opinions i guess Mm -hmm. you could say in them on uh, how media may have performed so i think that's the one thing i'd love to flip just overnight
3: yeah, I mean, just offers that you know helps helps with that challenge we have in evaluating retail media networks across the channels, retailers, tactics. I mean, it, it, it's it's one of those things that you know being able to look at an even playing field. I mean, I, I commend you, Evan and Claire, for, for being those change agents to to standardization efforts. I think uh, you know that that's got to be number one priority for for the industry overall to, to, to continue to grow. I Amazing. Mean, think like,
0: about the industry, the industry growing. Then the last question I'll I'll ask you guys, and we'll leave there is. Thinking and forecasting, we love to play buzzword bingo. So what's the next industry buzzwords? What should we be on the lookout for?
2: So I think industry buzzwords, I've, I've, I've teased it out. I don't think it's going to be a surprise. You guys work with me closely enough to probably know what I'm going to say. I think the, the data standardization, because I think that powers the connected commerce conversation that we're trying to have. So I think connected commerce is going to come more and more to the forefront. Um, for me, if I had to make it punchier, it would be in-store integration to retail media conversations. More and more the in-store experience is getting digitalized and audiences are going to be able to be targeted in-store and you're starting to see people want to integrate that experience. And as brand conversations come down into retail, the in-store experience is even more at the forefront because it's, it's really a brand look and feel. So I do think that connected commerce is just going to get a little bit pushed a little bit further to start to discuss more of the in-store look, feel experience as well as the retailer experience digitally.
0: Andy? What do you think? Next buzzwords.
3: Yeah, no, I, I think connected commerce is is the, the the big one out there. I mean, we're hearing AI, we're hearing all of those other big things, and and yeah, those are important. But really, it's really that fully integrated approach to to uh, you know retail media, e commerce, and digital shelf all, all combined together. So um, yeah, definitely,
0: uh, Evan, we've kind of come to the end of our road, man. You got any final thoughts on
1: this? No, I'll keep it brief. Uh, I love the 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 overall expanded definition of retail media uh, that this episode leaned into. I think the merch integration makes a ton of sense. You are hitting on, I think you didn't you came everywhere around it, but didn't hit on the fact that we do things in media that are so short-sighted and short-lived. You know, a six-week campaign doesn't give an AI engine or, or the, the merch data, which moves a little slower. It's full potential to grow. And so if we're planning things out 12 months, 36 months in advance at the merch level, and the CPG has been selling through a retailer for 50-plus years... Why are we doing such short-sighted, short-lived campaign cycles, right? It's tied to like old school ways of of controlling budget and really should be tied to performance. Those budgets should be flexible. They should ramp up when we need to in areas that they need to localized, uh, demographic-based, audience-based, and they should ramp down when they don't need to. And um, that's that's how we bring our humble assets to market in, in the best way possible. So I'd love to put that into the, the future state of retail media. I'm not sure if that fits into the buzzword bingo definition, Dan, but it's really part of that merch <laughs> media nirvanus. Uh, and then we don't have to be building campaigns a thousand times a year when really the relationship can, if we're being open and honest, can flex around when and where we need to spend media to drive merchandising. And then everybody wins, but love, loved your feedback. You guys we killed it. We're super excited to get you on the podcast and you delivered above expectations. Appreciate all the time you've spent with us today and uh, I'm leaving a smarter person.
2: Yeah, we appreciate it, guys. It's awesome partnership. Love to be able to hang out with you in the garage. And I think this is awesome. So thank you for getting this together.
0: Absolutely Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you guys. We appreciate you.